You have tuned in to a study of the book of Hebrews, and we welcome you to the Radio Bible Course. Today we're beginning with verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we invite you to follow along. Verse 9 begins, But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for every one. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have all one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will praise thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children God has given me. Now let's say a word about the incarnation here which is brought out in verse 9 of chapter 2, for it tells us, But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Angels are noble creatures. They're a special creation of God. But Jesus, the Creator, according to John 1, the first few verses, tells us that He is the one who made everything, and nothing was made except by him. Now this one, Jesus Christ, left heaven's glory, took on humanity, and thus for a little time became lower than the angels. Now why did he do that? The purpose of it was for the suffering of death. But why? To redeem Adam's children. He had to become like Adam, a human Adam represented all of us in his unbelief and in his subsequent fall. He is often referred to as our federal head. Jesus, the last Adam, represented all of us also in his redemption. He acted for all men just as Adam did as leader of the entire human race. Now we have a commentary on this from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 21, Paul writes, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Hebrews 2.9 tells us that the coming of Christ was by the grace of God. God sent him because God loved the world. 
John declared that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was the only way God could save us. It cost God to send his Son and to sacrifice him. But that salvation doesn't cost us anything. It's free to us because salvation is said in the Bible to be a gift of God, and you don't pay anything for a gift. Now, the word grace means the unmerited favor of God. Grace means something you cannot deserve, something you cannot earn, and never be worthy of. Grace and gift are very similar. Now, what all this means is that God had Jesus suffer and die for those who did not deserve to be died for. He should have demanded our own death. That would be justice. But another dies on our behalf, and that's merciful grace. Now, it tells us in verse 9 that Jesus came and tasted death for every man. The word taste is a metaphoric expression, meaning death. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, we read about those who have tasted of the heavenly gift. And some people don't accept that as a metaphor. They instead insist that to taste something means not to fully partake of it. But here we have the same word that is found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. If it means only to taste, but not to fully partake of it, then we would be admitting that Jesus did not really die, he just appeared to die. And no Christian is going to accept that kind of an explanation. No, a metaphoric expression means that Jesus, by tasting, actually took all of death. It's just a figure of speech. Now, the author of Hebrews thus far has been demonstrating that Jesus is greater than the angels. Some of his readers may have thought otherwise. Some, like cult groups today, might think that he was an angel of sorts, but Jesus was not an angel. In chapter 1, he proved that Jesus is God, the Son. And if you accept that, you won't disagree with Jesus. You will accept the fact that he is right, that he thinks right, and that he does right. Now, Jesus is headed in the right direction. And if we are believers in him, we should be on his train, going along with him in the same direction, and not reluctantly. Now, next we come to the family of the sons of God. And that brings us to verse 10. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. What comes next here is teaching about the church as a family relationship. And in the next few verses, believers are called sons, brethren, and children of God. These three words, sons, 
brethren and children are in themselves a blessing because they imply family love. We are brothers and sisters in the faith. We are children of the Holy Father in the faith. Without love, the church would have far less practical meaning. When one is in need or in grief, he is upheld by another's love in the church. And of course, that's the one commandment that our Savior gave to his disciples, and he gave it to them to pass on to us, and they do repeat it frequently in the epistles. And that one commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, we are not blood-related, of course, but we are spirit-related, and that bond is much stronger than a bond of flesh. In John chapter 113, John wrote this, Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Of whom is he speaking? He's speaking about those who believe that Jesus is the Christ those who received him and believed in his name. They are people who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And Jesus explained that, of course, in John chapter 3, when he talked to Nicodemus and said, You must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand it, but Jesus explained that one needed to be born from above, born of the Spirit. Now I call your attention to, in verse 10 to the expression, bringing many sons to glory. This supports the earlier passages in chapter 2 that God intended man to be far more than he is now. Salvation is more than remission of sins. It is future glory with Christ ruling the world with him, ruling the world to come. No angel could have accomplished this. Now there's a problem at the end of verse 10. talks about how suffering made him perfect. Was Jesus imperfect? No, the word refers instead to the completion of something. He completed the work of redemption. And until he had suffered and died, Jesus was not the complete Redeemer. But with the crosswork of Christ, he completely fulfilled the role of the Savior, completing all the Old Testament typology, all the sacrifices, and all the rituals that pertained to the Messiah. Jesus did not merely promise salvation. He died to fulfill it and to bring us salvation. He is the author or the trailblazer, often referred to as the pioneer of our salvation, who is followed by whom? By many sons. And that's what we have here in verse 10. He is our forerunner. He's the door through whom we enter eternity. Now he lets us in. And it's a gracious opening that we get. 
The door is not something that Jesus opens and then you have to struggle and work to try to work your way in. We are welcomed when we come to that door because God sent him to be the Savior. And when Jesus said, I am the door, he meant he was the way to God. When you come to him, you come to God. And he's the only way to God. And he's the only truth of God. And he is the life of God. So Jesus is called the author or the captain of our salvation as one who is the founder and the originator of all that we will inherit. And now, before we leave the air, I'd like to read a paragraph from our grace booklet. We have difficulty understanding this concept of grace because we have been reared on a merit system. The merit principle governs our lives from childhood. In other words, we get what we work for. We learned that from our parents. They taught us that rewards are earned, and they even said if you don't eat your vegetables, you won't get a dessert. As students, we learned that grades were earned by study, and that the best job offers came to those with the highest averages. That's merit, and there's nothing wrong with it. But we assume, after a lifetime in the merit system, that God also operates by the same system— and that's where we are dead wrong, because the Bible tells us that God deals with man on a grace system, and that salvation is a gift. We'd like to send you a copy of this free grace booklet. Until next week, this is Nick Hellevoder reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.